continue the series on rich through his poverty, speaking about the, the poverty that our Lord Jesus Christ incurred for us so that we could be made rich uh, through his poverty. And um, in the previous teaching, we had a look at what God the Father, uh, his view is about prosperity, um, because he has said to us in his word that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he made himself poor, that we through his poverty might be made rich. And so we wanted to understand what our Lord really meant when he said we could be made rich, um, and that ties in with being prosperous. And so we saw in the previous teaching what God's view is, and God's view is on prosperity is that he would sustain us through the avenue that he gives us uh, to generate an income. And we saw that the children of Israel, when they, he took them into the promised land, that he gave them uh, vineyards and orchards and uh, um, homes to live in. And uh, he promised them that if they would keep his commandments and abide in them, that their vintage would sustain them until the time of harvest, uh, and the harvest would sustain them until the time of sowing, and that they would eat their bread to the full, and that they would dwell safely in the land. And so we saw that really what God is saying to us when he talks about us becoming rich in Christ is that he supplies all of our need. He gives us the ability to generate an income uh, in that he blesses us with our vineyards and our orchards. Um, and obviously in today's terminology, that would be whatever, whatever employment the Lord provides for us whatever means that he provides for us in order to generate an income. And he promises to sustain us with that income so that throughout our period on this earth that we would never suffer any lack, uh, that we would always have more than sufficient for our own needs and to bless the needs of others. But there's obviously a condition attached as well, and that, that condition is that as the children of Israel were required to walk in the Lord's commandments, so we are required to walk in the commandment under the new covenant, which is the commandment of love. And so if we uh, walk in love, then we can fully expect that God our Father will sustain us and keep us um, fully supplied um, in that all of our needs will be met. We will not suffer any lack in this life. And so that's really, in a, in a nutshell, you can go back and, and look at that teaching again. But that is uh, the God's view of prosperity. Not a case of us becoming multimillionaires, not at all. Just a case of God sustaining us and keeping us um, in a full supply at all times. And we did the comparative as well. We said we need to look at the, the difference between contentment and covetousness. And we said that uh, it's a fine line and we need to always be content with that which the Lord has blessed us with. And we not to covet uh, that which we do not have because God has promised us that he never leaves us nor forsakes us and so he provides for our needs and that is what we are to be content with. And so today what we want to have a look at is uh, the example given to us of our Lord Jesus Christ because uh, in all things, every aspect of our Christian walk, we must always look to the Lord Jesus as our, the ultimate example. Now, there are other examples obviously given to us in Scripture. Even the Apostle Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so we do look to those who through faith and patience inherit the promises as examples that we should follow. But the ultimate example always is Jesus Christ our Lord, for He is the uh, perfect Son of God. And we are all to aspire to walk as our older brother, our Lord Jesus walked when he walked on the earth because we do have that um, potential. The Apostle John teaches us that he who abides in him ought himself to walk even as he walks, speaking about Jesus our Lord. And so we want to have a look at um, our Lord Jesus' uh, example that he set for us in this particular area when he walked on the earth. And there's a, a couple of things we want to look at today. We want to look at our Lord's uh, early life when he was growing up, um, because we just want to see the, the, the background of our Lord's life when he came into the earth, how he was brought up in this. Everything we want to look at today obviously pertains to uh, the Lord's provision and prosperity. Um, and then we want to have a look at uh, uh, when our Lord entered into ministry, 
um, and a certain aspect of that. And I want to just close off on today's session with having a look at the generosity of our Lord Jesus, because again, that would help us to understand the generosity of God the Father, for our Lord Jesus and the Father are one. And so the scripture we'll open up with today is in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 to 2. The scripture says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so we must look at our Lord Jesus in every aspect of our lives, as I've already said. And this, is, this particular aspect about walking in prosperity, walking in the riches that the Lord has provided for us through His poverty, is no different. We look at our Lord Jesus, for He set the example for us. And so, uh, again, our Lord made the comment of one time, He said, A servant is not greater than his master. And a disciple is not greater than the teacher. So it is enough that the disciple become like the teacher. And so we can aspire to live like Jesus lived. We should not try and aspire to live beyond the way Jesus lived. Um, because then we're kind of trying to uh, be greater than our master. And that's, our Lord said, that's not, you can't do it. You, a difficult way to put this across. You can do it because we'll have a look in Scripture and Jesus was not a, a multi-millionaire. Everybody acknowledges that. Um, and so it is possible for Christians to become multi-millionaires. And so we can say, but Lord, you know, we, we are doing greater than you from that point of view. But um, whether that's the Lord's will for our lives, I don't think so. Not when I, I look at Scripture and not when I look at the example of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so let's have a look at our Lord's um, early years when he first came into the kingdom. Because I just want to uh, touch on uh, a, a point that is raised quite often. Um, because again, we're having to bring a balance to this message. Um, because it is the Lord's will that the, his saints prosper, without a doubt. It is the Lord's will that we walk in riches um, and not in lack without a doubt. But I think we kind of, in the previous teaching, have um, explained God's view of riches and God's view of prosperity. It's, it's different to this world's view. This world's view of prosperity and riches is uh, tremendous wealth, um, you know, luxurious homes, luxurious cars, everything, just having everything of the best all the time. But um, that's not the Bible. That's not what the Lord teaches us. And so one of the things that is taught um, by those who proclaim the prosperity gospel is that uh, one of the, the blessings that came into our Lord's life was when the three wise men uh, came to visit when he was born. And there were gifts that were given to uh, Mary and Joseph at that time. And a lot of the teachers of the prosperity gospel will point to that and say, well, now that is God's supernatural provision for his son, so that his son did not have to grow up in poverty, that they had substantial wealth through those gifts that were actually presented at that time. Um, and I've actually heard a very well-known minister of the gospel on, on television um, stating that uh, the, the, the value of the gifts that were presented to our Lord's parents at that time equated to the value of roughly $40 million dollars. Um, because it was a, a whole train load of camels that uh, these wise men uh, came to present these gifts to our Lord at that time. And so, you know, the, the imagination of the carnal mind knows no bounds when it comes to wanting to um, go after riches. And so we want to have a look at what the Bible actually does teach on that particular issue, just so that we can bring into balance what actually did transpire on that occasion and the kind of life that our Lord in fact did grow up in prior to him entering into the ministry because the Bible is relatively silent about our Lord's life prior to him going into the ministry. We have little snip, snippets here and there that we see and we're going to try and from that glean 
what it is that um, is available, uh, the kind of life that our Lord actually did live. So the passage we'll open up with in this point is in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 through to 11. Scripture says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Verse 11. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented him, presented gifts to him, sorry, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And so these are the gifts that were presented by it. In fact, the scripture doesn't say there were three wise men. It just says that there were wise men from the east. And behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Now we see three gifts that are presented, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And so we just naturally um, extrapolate that out and say, well, each wise man, because we know it was plural wise men, and so each one presented one gift to the Lord. And so it, it's, it's most, more than likely that there were three wise men, although the scripture does not say three. But there were definitely three gifts, different gifts that were presented to our Lord on that occasion. Gold being one, frank incense being the other, and myrrh being the other. And so, again, as I say, a lot of, uh, of the prosperity gospel teachers will take that passage and, and claim from that that God the Father had now supernaturally provided for his son uh, at that time so that you know Joseph and Mary had uh, a substantial amount of wealth and our Lord could be brought up in that uh, uh, degree of wealth and so we want to just now see what well, is that the case because just reading that passage of scripture we you know it's pretty much open to interpretation it could be that it's a, 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 you know, a extravagant gift that was given to our Lord or it could be a token of a gift that was given to our Lord. And we're going to see in Scripture now that the, the opposite is in fact true. It was not uh, a $40 million gift given to our Lord Jesus Christ, in value that is. And so let's see what the Scripture does say on the subject, because the Bible is not silent on the issue. Luke chapter 2, verse 21 through to 24. The Scripture says, And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Uh, verse 23, As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. Verse 24, And to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And so, <clears throat> when our Lord was born, he was born in the town of Bethlehem. The th three wise men, the wise men, came to him while he was still in Bethlehem. Um, a, a few days after he was born, it was not uh, at the time of the birth. You see the nativity scenes, you see the shepherds there, and you see the three wise men there giving their gifts, but that's not the case at all. We, we saw in the previous passage that uh, because we know that our Lord was born in a manger, uh, in, in, a, in a store basically, but in that passage we looked at, uh, Mary and Joseph were then staying in a house when the three wise men came there. But nevertheless, they were still in the town of Bethlehem. We know that because that's where the wise men came to see seek the Lord, it was in the town of Bethlehem. So what had happened was our Lord um, stayed in the town of Bethlehem because Mary had to um, go and, well, Joseph and Mary had to go to the temple to present him to the Lord. Now when that happened, Mary had to offer an offering before the Lord for her cleansing. Now under the old covenant, um, for a male child that was born, the, the woman had to wait a period of 40 days before she could go to the temple to offer her offering for cleansing. 80 days for a girl, but 40 days for a boy. And so it was 40 days later that um, Joseph and Mary take our Lord Jesus to the city of Jerusalem, to the temple, 
to um, present him before the Lord and for Mary to also offer her customary sacrifice for her cleansing. And that uh, sacrifice that she offered was a pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons. And so, you know, that's what the scripture records for us. And, uh, you know, that's exactly what they did. They, they obeyed the law of Moses. But there's something about the offering that they made, which um, it gives us an indication as to what their financial status was at the time. And don't forget, now this, this is now after um, Mary and Joseph had, had received the gifts from the wise men, the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, uh, because they presented that, those gifts to them in, in Bethlehem. Forty days later, uh, Joseph and Mary take Jesus to Je Jerusalem, to the temple, to offer the, the sacrifice for Mary. And so they really have received the gifts from the, the wise men. But I want to go back to the Old Covenant now and see what God actually said about that offering that Joseph and Mary made to the Lord on that occasion. And we pick it up in Leviticus chapter 12, verse 1 through to 7. The scripture says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, If a woman has conceived and born a male child, then she shall be unclean seven days, as in the days of a customary impurity, she shall be unclean. And on the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. And we saw that's exactly what happened with our Lord. On, on the eighth day, he was named Jesus. Verse 4, she shall then continue in the blood of her purification 33 days. So it's the 33 days plus the 7 adds up to the 40 days. Um, she shall not touch any hallowed thing, nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purification are fulfilled. So that's the 40 days. She's not allowed to go to the temple. When the days of her purification are fulfilled, whether for a son or a daughter, she shall bring to the priest a lamb of the first year as a burnt offering and a young pigeon or a turtle dove as a sin offering to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Then he shall offer it before the Lord and make atonement for her, and she shall be clean from the flow of her blood. This is the law for her who has born a male or a female. And so the, the law is very clear as to the offering that Joseph and or Mary had to present before the Lord. We saw that she waited her 40-day period, as God said, and then they went to the temple, uh, to present our Lord, obviously the, the dual function, she had to present the Lord uh, to God the Father because he was the male that opened the womb, um, but also she had to present the sacrifice for her cleansing. And the, the law is very clear that the sacrifice that she had to offer is that she was to bring to the priest a lamb of the first year as a burnt offering, and a young pigeon or turtle dove as a sin offering. So that's the, the, the offering she had to present, a lamb and a turtle dove. But that's not the offering that she did present, because we read it in the book of uh, Luke, the account is that both Joseph and Mary presented to the Lord two turtle doves or two young pigeons. There's no mention of a lamb. They didn't present a lamb before the Lord. So the question arises, why not? Um, because that was the requirement uh, that God required for that offering for her cleansing to take place. So why didn't she offer the lamb? Well, we pick it up in Leviticus chapter 12, verse 8. Uh, God answers that question for us. For he says, And if she is not able to bring a lamb, then she may bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons, as one one as a burnt offering and the other as a sin offering. So the priest shall make atonement for her and she will be clean. And so we see that what our Lord did under the old covenant is um, in Leviticus 14, 21 and 22. What God did was for the poor who could not afford a lamb, he made provision for them that they could offer to turtle doves or two young pigeons. They could afford that. 
but they could not afford a land. So God was not unjust. Um, because, you know, a poor person is a poor person. They couldn't afford a land. So it would be a problem for them because they would need to be able to offer a sacrifice to God, but because they physically couldn't actually afford it, uh, they couldn't then offer the sacrifice unless they couldn't be cleansed. And so God made provision for that, for the poor people. He said, okay, well, for those who cannot afford a lamb, they're, in, they're entitled and they're allowed to offer a turtle dove or a pigeon because they could afford that. And so that's the provision that God had made under the Old Covenant. And so it kind of just screams at us what uh, Joseph's and Mary's um, financial condition was like when they presented our Lord before God the Father after his 40 days, after her 40 days of, clean, uh, of purification. Um, Joseph and Mary couldn't afford a lamb, and that is why they presented to the Lord two turtle doves or two young pigeons, because their financial status was in that category that they were not that they were not not wealthy enough because it didn't take a lot of wealth to offer up a lamb but they had almost no wealth uh, and so all they could afford was the uh, the two turtle doves and the two or the two pigeons that they did offer before before the lord and so we see very clearly then that the gifts that were offered to the lord by the wise men uh, in the town of bethlehem were gifts, token gifts. They were not extravagant gifts because if they had been, Joseph and Mary could well have afforded offering God a lamb and a turtle dove. But they couldn't. They could only afford two turtle doves. And so very clearly the Bible is not silent on the issue. The Bible does show us that our Lord Jesus was not born into a wealthy home. And that wealthy home came about because of the extravagance of the gifts of the wise men. That wasn't the case at all. Those wise men gave gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh, but those gifts were token in nature. They were not extravagant gifts and not uh, train loads of camels arriving on uh, the Lord's doorstep and delivering all extreme wealth to, um, to our Lord Jesus uh, when he was born into the earth. And so that kind of just debunks that myth that is out there in, in, in the church in some circles. And so we get now to having a look at our Lord's life growing up. The Bible doesn't tell us very much about our Lord's life growing up. We have the account of when he was born, um, and we've just read one of the accounts when the wise men came. Um, we have the account when our Lord was 12 years old when he went to the temple uh, with um, Mary and Joseph, and uh, they went over the feast of Passover, and our Lord stayed behind. We know the account. He was there for three days, and he was in the temple talking to the the, the scribes of the day. But that's about it. In fact, that's all kind of that we know about our Lord's life from his birth until the time he begins his ministry. Now we know in historical accounts that are, and, and the biblical accounts obviously, after Joseph and Mary had presented our Lord to the temp, in the temple uh, after that 40 day period, that um, Joseph was then warned in a dream to take Jesus and, and Mary down to Egypt. And they went down there, and they lived there for four years. I'm not going to get into the timeline now, but after the four-year period, when Herod was, had died, God brought uh, Joseph and Mary back into Israel, and that's when they went to live in the town of Nazareth, where they originally did come out of in the first place. So they went to the town of Nazareth, and that it's in that town that our Lord spent most of his um, young life into adulthood because it was when our Lord uh, went into ministry that the family moved to Capernaum but nevertheless um, so for the first four years of our Lord's life he lived in Egypt um, when our Lord was four years old uh, the family moved uh, to Nazareth and it was in the town of Nazareth that the Lord grew up and he lived there until he went into public ministry um, and so we had very little input as to our Lord's life during that time. But there is some uh, uh, glimpse given to us in Scripture that we can then have a look at it and we can get an, uh, some idea of the Lord's life style that he, that he enjoyed growing up as a young boy and as a young teenager and a young adult in the town of Nazareth. And we pick up some input along that line in Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 6, verse 3. 
Um, and the scripture says, Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And are not his, sis are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. And so this is an account of when our Lord Jesus went back to the town of Nazareth to preach the gospel for the first time. Now, when our Lord was in the town of Nazareth growing up and all the way through until the time that he left that town and he went into ministry, he never once displayed his ability to, um, in, in his knowledge of, and understanding of the Word of God. Um, had he been able to display that, he would have preached in that synagogue many times during that time, but he never once did. Uh, he went back into the town of Nazareth to preach in the synagogue for the first time when he once after he got into the public ministry. And it's that at that time that they get the, the, the town of Nazareth get to hear the wisdom and knowledge that our Lord actually does have in the Word of God. Because he never displayed that when he was in Nazareth. The only time during our Lord uh, period that he was growing up where he displayed his knowledge of the Word of God was that time when he was 12 years old in the temple when he was with the scribes because he would never see them again and so he could reveal to them his understanding of the word of God <coughs> but when he went back to his hometown he never displayed that understanding so the rabbi had no idea as to just uh, the depth of wisdom that Jesus actually had in the gospel but we're not going to get into that today but I just want to bring that up so anyway, we see a picture here. Our Lord grew up in a relatively large home because he had four brothers and at least three sisters. So it was a large home that our Lord uh, was born into. Um, and so that gives us some idea as, as to the household that our Lord grew up in. Now the town of Nazareth was not a very big town. If you go back in, in historical records and you look at it, uh, you will see that uh, there wasn't, it wasn't a... Uh, uh, Metropolis. There was just it was a very small little village, really, the, the town of Nazareth that our Lord grew up in. Now our Lord grew up. Um, Joseph was a carpenter, and so our Lord grew up. And when he became a, a young man, he entered into the, the family business of carpentry because that's why um, Nazareth knew him as the carpenter. For that's what they say: Is this not the carpenter? So how's this guy teaching now? Anyway, so that was one of the reasons they got upset with him. Because, you know, they never heard him teach the Word of God before. So he grew up as a carpenter in that town. There was uh, the family business. The family business was carpentry and Jesus uh, was uh, working with Joseph in that business. Which is why everybody knew him as the carpenter. Now we know that our Lord did everything well. Um, Mark 7.37 says... The Lord did all things well, and He would have done all things well. And so our Lord Jesus would have excelled as a carpenter. He would have done a very good job. And so if you got a, a chair made by the Lord, it would have been a good chair. If you had a table made by the Lord, it would have been a good table. And so there's no doubt that the carpentry business that Joseph had in the town of Nazareth would have been a prosperous business. Um, it, because the quality of work that would have been produced through that business with the Lord working in it would have been exceptional quality and so you know that business would have prospered but it would have only been able to prosper to the point of the who they could serve in the town of Nazareth now as I say if you go look at historical records the town of Nazareth was very small and so that carpentry business would have been sufficient to sustain that family of eight children and two adults so it's a large family You're looking at ten uh, people that that carpentry business had to uh, look after and sustain but it would have been enough for them to be able to live a comfortable lifestyle extravagant wealth no because if, if Joseph wanted to have a, a, a thriving carpentry business that would have you know really made a lot of money he would have had to move to a big city like Jerusalem where there was a, a population that could have then maybe helped them. They lived in Nazareth, a very small town. And so that town was able to sustain the family. They had a comfortable business. They lived comfortable lives. But there was no extravagant wealth 
uh, generated through that carpentry business. And we need to understand that. And so that just kind of points to what God, our Father, has said to us about uh, prosperity, His view of prosperity, is that He would make, uh, He would provide for us sufficiently so that we could live comfortable lives. And that's exactly what our Lord grew up in. He, he lived in, in that town of Nazareth and they lived a comfortable life. They, they didn't suffer lack at all. And business um, produced enough income to sustain the family and the family lived normal lives. There was no extravagant wealth there at all. And as we said, there was no kickstart of extravagant wealth brought to them uh, by the wise men. And so that gives us just a, a bit of insight into the kind of life that our Lord grew up in, in that all the way through from the time he was born until the time that he entered into um, public ministry, uh, God took care of his needs and he lived a comfortable life. He, wasn't, he never suffered lack at any time. The family never suffered lack at any time. But as I, the, the point is, they just lived normal Jewish lives in a small town, in that time and uh, that's how God provided for his son during that period then we get to the point when our Lord Jesus in fact then does leave the town of Nazareth and he goes to the town of Capernaum now that account that incident occurred when our Lord went to, into public ministry um, just prior to that in fact um, the family when I say the family it was Joseph and Mary and the sons moved to the town of Capernaum. Now again, historical records show us that the town of Capernaum was roughly three times larger than the town of Nazareth. And so the family moved there. It seems that Jesus' sister stayed behind and one of his sisters married uh, a chap in Cana of Galilee. And so the, the sisters were living in Cana and in Nazareth, but the sons moved with Joseph and Mary to Capernaum. And our Lord moved with them as well. But it seemed, it, in fact, we'll have a look at scripture, scriptural accounts now. By this time, the Lord Jesus was staying on his own. He had moved out of the family home and he was staying in Capernaum in a home of his own. But the home that he lived in was not his own home that he bought. It was a home that he rented. Um, and we picked that up in a number of passages of scripture. But I want to have a look at the home that our Lord lived in, in, in the town of Capernaum. And this was his own home. When I say his own home, this is where he lived by himself. Um, he was no longer living with Joseph and Mary. Um, he was, uh, um, you know, uh, he was in his uh, late thirties by this time. I'm not gonna get into our Lord's timeline, but when our Lord went to the cross, he was 40 years old and the, the historical records are very plain on the issue. But we're not gonna touch on that today. And so he was in his late 30s by the time they moved into Capernaum and he moves into his own home. And so we want to look at some scripture about that uh, just to show us that our Lord did have his own home at that time. Um, Matthew chapter 9 verse 28, the scripture says, And when he had come into the house, the blind men came to him and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I'm able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. And so there's a house that our Lord was living in. This is in the town of Capernaum. You can go read the account. And the scripture says when he had come into the house. Um, this is the house that our Lord was renting at the time. Another account, Matthew 13, 1 to 36. Scripture says in verse 1, On the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. So that's the house that our Lord was staying in at the time. Verse 36. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house. And his disciples came to him saying, Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. And so again, it's just pointing to this house that our Lord was living in on his own in the town of Capernaum during his public ministry. Matthew 17, verse 24 to 26. Scripture says, When they had come to Capernaum, those who received the tax came to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the tax? He said yes, and when he had come into the house, Jesus anticipated him, saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom did the kings of the earth take customs or taxes? From their sons or from, from strangers? Peter said to him, From strangers. Jesus said to him, Then the sons are free. 
And so again, reference is made to the house. This is the house that the Lord rented at the time. It was not Peter's house. It, uh, because Peter and uh, Andrew lived in Capernaum, John and, uh, John and um, James lived in Capernaum as well. But Jesus had his own home at that time. Mark uh, 2 verse 1, the scripture says, And again he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Um, because our Lord used to go out on, on a circuit. You can read this, the gospel accounts. He would go out on a circuit and preach the gospel in various towns and villages, and then he would return to Capernaum, where he was living, he, where this house was that he was renting at the time. Mark chapter 9, verse 28 to 33, the scripture says, And when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? That was after they tried to cast out that uh, demon that the young um, man had the epileptic fits uh, with. Um, so he said to them, This kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Then they departed from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know it. Verse 33. Then he came to Capernaum, and when he had entered into the house, he asked them, What was it that you disputed among yourselves on the road? And so very clearly, there's a, there's a house in Capernaum that our Lord was living in. And it was his own house. But it was a house that he rented. It was not a house that he owned. Because had it been a house that he owned, then our Lord would have told the lie. And you say, why do I say that the Lord would have told the lie? Because our Lord in Matthew 8.20 said to one who wanted to follow him, he made this comment. He said, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Now, when our Lord made that comment, he was saying, in effect, the Son of Man is homeless. He doesn't have a place that he can call his own. Now, he lived in a house, without a doubt. In Capernaum, the Lord lived in a house. Now, that was, that was the same house that they broke the tiling off when they let the, the man down who was paralyzed, that our Lord healed. Um, and that, that account we picked up in Mark 2, 9 to 11. We know about that account. That was the same house that Mary and her son stood outside of when they were asking to see Jesus. He was in that house at the time. And that is in Mark 3.31. And we see that happening. So we see that Jesus is not living with the family anymore. He's living on his own. And the family come to his house, you know, because they, they actually thought yeah, that he'd lost his mind, that you know, he'd become insane because he was proclaiming that he is the Son of God. And so that's the same house all the time. But it was a house that our Lord was renting. He did not own that house. For had he owned that house, he could not have said to that one who wanted to follow him, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Um, because he could have, because if he owned that home, that would have been his where he could lay his head. He did not own that home. He was renting that home. And so our Lord truthfully said to this man, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Now, <clears throat> When we rent homes, we don't own them. And so, you know, that is... Paul fell into that category. The Apostle Paul classified himself as one who was homeless. And that he, he says to us in 1 Corinthians 4.11, he called himself homeless. But at the same time, we do know that the Apostle Paul, on many occasions during his time on the earth, rented a home and lived in it. We know of one occasion where he lived in that home at least two years, another uh, three years. Um, and so Paul very often stayed with other people. They would allow him to live as he traveled around. But also very often Paul would rent a home in, in Rome when he was a prisoner. Uh, the Bible says he rented his own home um, for two years. And so, you know, but Paul still called himself a homeless man. And so one who rents can classify themselves as being homeless because they have no home of their own that they own. And that's the, the difference. And so that is why our Lord Jesus um, could say to that individual, you know, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And so the point that I wanted to raise out of all of this is that during our Lord's public ministry, that... Our Lord sustained him, God the Father sustained him, and we'll go into that in more depth as we get, uh, go through this uh, series of teaching. 
But with regards to our Lord's lifestyle that he lived, he was able to live in a, a home that he rented in the town of Capernaum, to which he always returned after he'd been out on a circuit preaching. Um, but it was nevertheless a rented home. It was not his own home. He lived in that home on, on his own. And our Father sustained him so that our Lord was able to pay the rent on that particular home um, when he was in that town. But when he left Capernaum to go to Jerusalem, that was it. He paid up his rent and then he moved out. And he went to Jerusalem the, the last time um, because he was then to be crucified at that time. And so, again, it just gives us a, a bit of insight as to our Lord's lifestyle prior to him going into the ministry and just as he then entered into the ministry and the lifestyle that he led during the time of, min of ministry. Now, most of the time when our Lord was out, obviously all the time when our Lord was out ministering, he would stay in other people's homes. Very often, our Lord would actually stay out in the field. They, they would sleep under the stars. There's one account in, in John's Gospel where the Bible talks about after the Lord had been teaching, everyone went to his own home, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. And our Lord then uh, spent uh, the night in prayer before God and went back into the temple the following morning. But our Lord very often also, with his disciples very often, slept under the stars, out in the open fields. But then, so that was our Lord's lifestyle. Not extravagant wealth there. Um, just a normal little home that he lived in. Uh, it wouldn't have been an extravagant home. It would have been a, just a normal size home um, that he lived in at that time. And so they kind of, we, we're painting a picture because we, the Bible says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And so we need to see how Jesus lived. And so we can expect to live a very similar lifestyle to our Lord. And so, as I say, our Lord rented a home when he was uh, 38 years old until he was 40 in the town of Capernaum. And then uh, he left this earth. And now I want to just touch on our Lord's generosity. And now we see that being displayed during his uh, public ministry. We see um, the extravagance of our Lord when he does bless individuals. Now I just wanted to show that because Jesus now then reveals to us our Father's generosity to us. And the first account I want to look at is... Um, the account in Cana of Galilee, that's the first miracle that our Lord performs. It's a very extravagant miracle. Let's have a look at it. Uh, John chapter 2, verse 1 through to 10. The scripture says, On the third day there was a wedding in, the, in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they had run out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Jesus said to her, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were six, set there six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing twenty or thirty gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Draw some out now, and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom. And he said to him, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. You have kept the good wine until now. And so here we see... Uh, uh, obviously a miracle that our Lord performs in that he turns water into wine and we look at that miracle and say Lord that is such an astounding miracle that you performed and it is but I want to have a look at this miracle that our Lord performed the first one that he performed in the earth um, from a different aspect I want to look at it from the financial because it is from that aspect that we're, we're, we're in the series we're looking at uh, being made rich through the poverty of our Lord so we want to look at the generosity of the Lord so the background here is, is that this is a wedding of one of Jesus' younger sisters. The reason we can say that is because the Lord Jesus was invited to the wedding along with all of his disciples. Now at that time he had six disciples with him. Uh, Peter and Andrew were there, James and John was there, Nathaniel was there, Philip was there. 
Um, those are the six that we know about. There might have been more, but those six we definitely do know about. They were with him. And so the reason that the Lord Jesus could invite six of his disciples to this wedding was because he was the older brother of the, the bride. And so he was able to then invite his six disciples to go with him to the wedding. No, otherwise, you know, if you're just a guest at a wedding, you can't say, oh, can I bring another six of my friends with? Um, because this wedding was not a, an extravagant wedding where there was you know, super wealth being displayed because we see in the wedding halfway through, roughly halfway through, they run out of wine. So it was not an extravagant wedding. You know, these guys were putting out a wedding on pretty much of a, a shoestring budget uh, because you know, to run out of wine during the wedding shows you just how little they actually did have. And so it was an extravagant wedding. It wasn't, should I say. And that is why we can say, and Mary gets involved when they run out of wine. Now the reason Mary gets involved is because it's her daughter and her new son-in-law that are about to be embarrassed by running out of wine. And so she gets involved um, because she's not just you know, a busybody in somebody else's wedding. It's her daughter that's getting married and they're about to be embarrassed. She comes to her oldest son when, this incident, when, when they, they find out they're, they're in trouble. Now the reason she does that, we, you know, we can speculate, um, but she doesn't do it because she's seen our Lord perform miracles before, because he's never done that, because the Bible is very plain on this point that this is the first miracle our Lord ever performs. Um, and so she doesn't come to him because she's expecting a miracle. It might be, because just prior to this, our Lord has left um, the carpentry business and he has gone into the ministry. Now there's, uh, there's so much that we can see from our, uh, the, what scripture says to us about our Lord's life. Um, there's a falling out that obviously had occurred at that time then between him and Joseph because you know, Joseph was not, Jesus goes, he starts off his ministry by going to be baptized by John. Now Joseph and the whole family were not baptized by John. They did not believe in John's baptism. Jesus broke ranks with the family. He went to be baptized by John. And that's when the separation takes place between him and Joseph. Um, and we never see Joseph ever mentioned again in Scripture. Now, a lot of people say, well, Joseph died. That's not the case. You can go read the account in, um, when our Lord goes to uh, Capernaum. Uh, in Capernaum, they say, you know, is this not the son of Joseph and Mary who we know? Now, that's in the town of Capernaum. They were, the family had just moved there. Joseph was in the town of Capernaum. Now, there was a falling out. The reason we can also say there was a falling out is because when Mary eventually does just, she breaks with the family, and she then uh, believes in God, she says she's going to follow her son. When she does that, she's at the cross. And that is when our Lord looks down upon her and says to John, Behold your mother. And John takes Mary into his home. Now, Mary has four, four sons who are, are not much younger than our Lord. They're in their 30s. Has a husband, has three daughters. And yet John takes her in. Why is that? Because the family won't support her. Because she has been kicked out of the family. Um, and it was only James and Jude that came out of our Lord's family. Uh, he appeared to them after he was raised from the dead. And they came in. And so was out of that family, it was James, Jude and Mary that believed in the Lord. The rest didn't, including Joseph. Anyway, I kind of digress quite dramatically there. I'm throwing out some stuff in this teaching that is throwing a few people today, I can see, because I've mentioned the age of our Lord. Let me just quickly give you the, 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 the timeline there. When our Lord was born into the earth, it was during the census. That census took place in 4 BC. You can go look at the historical accounts. Um, so our Lord was 8 BC, my sincere apologies, 8 BC. Um, our Lord was born into the earth. He goes down to Egypt for four years, and he lives there for four years. We know that's from biblical accounts. He comes back when Herod dies. Herod dies in 4 BC. So our Lord was four years old when Herod died. Came back in, from the age of four uh, through to the age of 37. Um, our Lord is in Nazareth, roughly just, just before his 38th birthday. We know that because John begins his ministry when our Lord is 37 years old. Why do we say that? Because the Bible says to us that in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius, John began his ministry. That was in the year 28 um, AD. I might be about by one year. I'm going by 
recollection now, talking about historical and biblical accounts tying them up. That's 28 AD. Um, our Lord then began his ministry one year after John, and our Lord then ministered for two years. Our Lord died in 31 AD. Um, by that time, he was then 40 years old. 40 is a very significant number in the scriptures. And the reason everybody assumes that our Lord was 33 years old is because Luke's account says he was about 30 when he began his ministry. The Holy Spirit knew his exact age. And so when the Holy Spirit inspired Luke to write about 30, it was because the Holy Spirit just didn't want us to know the exact age. But we can work it out that our Lord's exact age when he began ministry was actually 38 years old. So it's about 30 to 38 years old. That's why they, when they, they said to the Lord, you're not yet 50 years old, when uh, he said that he knew Abraham. You know, if he was a young man of 30, they would never say you're not yet 50 years old. It was because our Lord was uh, nearly 40 at the time, and you know, there were some gray hairs coming through. Uh, again, I'm sorry I have some weird stuff, but in, in the book of Psalms, the Bible talks about the uh, Lord had gray hairs in his head. And so from the age of 35, we all start getting gray hairs into our head. And so, yeah, when our Lord was, began his public ministry, he was 38 years old. And he lived for, uh, he ministered for two years, not three years. Uh, again, we pick that in John's Gospel. John talks about three Passovers. The Holy Spirit is very specific about the three Passovers, the Passover that began his public ministry. That's why our Lord says to Mary on this occasion, my time has not yet come. Because straight after this, he goes to Jerusalem and he begins his public ministry at the Feast of Passover. So that's the first Passover. We read in John's Gospel, another Passover that he shared uh, with his disciples that was in the midterm of his uh, ministry. And then the end, the last Passover was the one that he uh, had shared with the disciples before he went to the cross. And so that's the timeline of our Lord. So we get to the wedding. So we're at the wedding and uh, Mary comes to her oldest son and she says, we've got a problem. And, you know, as I say, she just knew that Jesus always knew the answer because Jesus was always led by the Holy Spirit throughout his life. She, she knew every crisis in life the family had, they could go to her son and her son knew what to do because Jesus was led by God. And so she knew that they, they were in a crisis, go to Jesus. And whatever he says to do, do that because that's going to solve the problem. She doesn't expect a miracle. You know, maybe she was. Maybe she thought, okay, he's now entered into his ministry because she knew. I mean, you know, she conceived by as a virgin, so she knew where Jesus came from. So maybe she is saying, well, now he's going to start displaying his glory. And he does. He turns the water into wine. Mary doesn't know that. The only people who know that are the servants and the Lord's disciples. They're the only ones who know that this is what the Lord did. Scriptures complain on that issue to us. But let's now get to the financial aspect of this. And the financial aspect of this, because this is now a wedding gift that he presents to the, the young married couple. The young married couple being his sister, his younger sister, and her newly wed husband. And the value of the gift is 75,000 Rand in today's money, if you go calculate the, the value. If you look at the quantity of wine and the quality of wine that our Lord presented to them, He presented them a wedding gift of 75,000 Rand. Now that is an extravagant gift, even if, if it is for a member of the family. Because don't forget, the family was not an extravagantly wealthy family. They ran out of wine during the wedding. It wasn't such a huge wedding that, you know, that's why they ran out of wine. It's because they you know, didn't have a lot of money. And so it was an extravagant gift that our Lord presented to them. But it gives us a bit of an insight into the extravagance of God our Father when He does bless us. How much He can, in fact, bless us. Um, and so our Lord displays the extravagance of our Father to us. Let's have a look at another account where our Lord just explained, it, it displayed the extravagance of God and the goodness of God. Luke chapter 5, verse 3 to 9. Scripture says, then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. 
When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down to Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. Now, look who were astonished. He and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish. These were seasoned fishermen. That was their business. They'd been in this business for many years, all of them. And they were all astonished at this catch of fish. The Bible says the, ships, the boats were, had started to sink because of the, this volume of fish that the Lord had blessed them with. And so here again we just see such a, a, an extravagant display of our Lord's generosity. Why did our Lord do that? Well, because He's good, obviously. But I mean, the, the background here is our Lord borrowed Peter's boat for about maybe two hours. Our Lord taught the multitudes. Um, and at the end of it, our Lord actually wanted to pay Peter for the use of his boat. And so that's how our Lord paid Peter. Now again, if you go and do a calculation in today's value as to how much this catch of fish would have netted for them, um, excuse the pun, it works out to roughly about 160,000 rands. Now again, that is an extravagant payment made for the use of Peter's boat for two hours. And so again, just shows us how much our Lord does bless us and can bless us um, when He wants to, because He is an extravagant God. Let's have a look at another account of our Lord's generosity when He was on the earth. Mark chapter 6, verse 37 to 42. The scripture says, But He answered and said to them, You give them something to eat. And they said to Him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? But He said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to make them sit down in groups on, of, on the green grass. So they sat down in ranks in hundreds and in fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, blessed and broke the loaves, and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fish he divided among them all. So they all ate and were filled. So this is the account when our Lord uh, fed the 5,000. Now, we know that the Bible account shows to us 5,000 men. It doesn't mention how many women and children were present uh, on both accounts when our Lord fed the multitudes. But we know there were at least 5,000 there. And so, again, and each one ate to the full. They, yeah, and there was a lot left over because remember they had to take up the baskets our Lord instructed them to take and that just gives us a bit of insight to God does not like wastefulness anyway our Lord told them to take up all of the, the fragments that remained and they could, I think they filled 12 baskets at that time 7 baskets on the other occasion but I think it was 12 baskets on this occasion um, of the fragments that were left over and so again now you go and do a, a calculation in today's money in order to Feed 5,000 people so that everybody had more than sufficient to eat and there's a lot left over. And it works out to roughly a half a million rand. That's the kind of money that would needed to have been utilized in order to feed that crowd to that, to that degree. And that's the extravagance of God coming through once again. And then one last account I want to look at today of the extravagance of God again being displayed through our Lord Jesus Christ. John chapter 21, verse 5 to 11. The scripture says, Then Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? They answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and plunged into the sea. But the other disciple came in the little boat, for they were not far from the land, but about 200 cubits, dragging the net with fish. Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid on it, and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land, full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. And so again... <coughs> Here's just another account. Our Lord, you know, guys, have you, have you any food? He, he was saying, have you caught anything? Because they've been fishing the whole night. And they said, no, we haven't caught anything. So our Lord, you know, blesses them in this. 
Again, go do the calculation and you will find that that, that value of that catch was roughly 40,000 Rand. Just a simple get a miracle that our Lord performs. All of this, we just wanted to show the generosity of the Lord Jesus because um, although we've seen that God sustains us and keeps us, when He does choose to bless us, uh, the blessing is always extravagant. And that's another aspect we must always keep in mind with our Lord, is that we must never, never limit the Lord. If he, if he chooses to bless us extravagantly, we must thank Him for it, because He is an extravagant God. In the, uh, the next teaching, we want to continue looking at our Lord, and we want to look at His uh, ministry finances, and we want to look at His personal finances, how He handled His personal finances, what condition were they in, how He handled the ministry finances, um, how much did they receive through the ministry. That's uh, also an important part for us to have a look at. But we're going to end the teaching on that particular point for that.